We are, uh, we are looking at the, the story of Gideon in the Bible uh, from the book of Judges. We're, it's a four-week series, and we're just getting into the, um, the fourth week. This is the fourth one. So um, this is the end. This is like the climax. So if you've not been here for any of this series yet, you've come in at the climax of the story. So that's good news. You can be uh, happy about that. But also it means you've missed a heck of a lot. Uh, <laughs> a lot has gone on up to this point. Um, I, I'll, I'll try to briefly just go through just some very quick headlines just to help you get a sense of where we're at with the story. And it's that um, Gideon arrives on the scene in God's story in a book called Judges. And in, uh, it's just kind of, I guess, it's just, you know, just a quite a short way in really. But still even then a lot has happened. God has created a people for himself um, from, from, the, um, from the man Abraham and his Sarah. He's created the people of Israel for himself, his own people. And he's looked after them and he's shepherded them and he's led them. And he's brought them into these, the, a land of promise for them. But what they've done is continually they've, they've, they've tried to kind of uh, reject their identity as his special people by um, following after other things in their heart as well as him. So the worship that he alone deserves as God, he's kind of, they've kind of, what they keep doing is um, being drawn into the other worshipful practices of people around them and worship other gods in other ways. And they've, to tr- they've tried to draw the two together and sort of worship God, but worship other things too. And God in his um, holiness constantly is, is saying to them, it's not going to work. You can't do this. You can't mix worship with me with worship with other things um, for all manner of reasons. But the primary reason is this. It's an absolute insult to the only one who is worthy of worship, which is the creator. All other things that people worship are created. All other things have a beginning and will have an end. And as a result of that, cannot satisfy the human soul, which is designed and made for, uh, for eternal glory. Only he can satisfy the soul. And so to turn to created things that don't satisfy, God uses words like broken cisterns, broken jugs that can hold no water. And this has come to me, the fountain of life. And so constantly you get this sense where God is saying, why are you turning to that? And it's not like God being a sportsful. It's God saying, it doesn't satisfy you. No matter who you are, rich or poor, old or young, black or white, you are made for me and only I can satisfy your soul. And so if you're turning to this, you're turning to that. It doesn't satisfy your soul. Why? And you can see, I mean, God says incredible things about this in, in the Bible, you know, like, like, look, O heavens, and be appalled. <laughs> he calls out to the heavens, he says, be appalled, look at, what, look at what my people have done, they've traded me for that. And that's the dynamic of the book of Judges, particularly, you see it happen time and time again. And so what God does is that he allows them to go through suffering, he allows them to, as a, as a form of discipline, and then they sort of shout out, cry out, God help us. And he raises up someone to deliver them. And that's the cycle of the book of Judges. They, go, they, they then go back to worshiping other things and it starts again. Boom. And uh, God raises one of those judges is called Gideon. And God has come to Gideon who's a weak man, um, who is a fearful, cowardly man. And God has made him someone courageous through speaking his word into his heart. God transforms him through his word. God transforms his heart by the things he says over him. And he makes him into a different man. He's a man who trusts in God, a man who knows that God is with him. And what Gideon has to do, first step, is deal with the family idols, all these things his family are worshipping, before he can go on his mission. His mission from God is to deal with the Midianites, who are an army that have come in and oppressed Israel. Before he goes on his mission, they've got to deal with his household idols. He deals with those. Then he gathers this army of 33,000 around him. And then God says, it's too many. When you win... 
You're in danger of thinking that you did it yourself. Let's whittle it down. Let everyone who's scared go home. So that leaves 10,000 out of 33,000. God says, still too many. Um, and what was it down to 300? And that's where we got to last week. We've got this army of uh, 300 men that have joined to Gideon for this mission of dealing with uh, the Midianites. That's where we're up to. So we pick the, the rest of the story up. Judges chapter 7 and verse 9. Uh, the text should come up here on the screen so you can follow it if you don't have a Bible with you. We'll just wait till it comes up. And then we can read That same night, the Lord said to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. See, God sometimes does that. He speaks in the past tense about something he's about to do. I've given it. It's it's God's way of saying, it's as good as yours. I'm with you. It's my plan. It's as good as yours. But if you're afraid to go down, I love this. God sees his heart. If you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. So he's gone down with his servant to the enemy's camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that's on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. So he's listening and eavesdropping. And he said, this dream went, went like this. Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars and, that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, I saw for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran they cried out and fled when they blew the 300 trumpets the lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army and the army fled as far as beth shitter sorry about that <laughs> no you know some words you just can't you can't pronounce subtly that's what it says and uh, towards zarira as far as the border of abel mahola that's better by tabith And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. Father, thank you for this amazing story and how much we've benefited from it over these last three weeks. I pray that this week would be no different. In fact, I pray, Lord, you would just touch hearts in an incredible way today. I pray for people that are here, maybe that have never heard a sermon from the Bible before and are really thinking, has this got anything to say into my life? 
I pray, Lord, that you would show them that it does. That you would show them, Lord, how your word will speak right into their lives today. And that when they leave this place today, they would know that in some strange way, God has spoken into their heart. I pray for those that have heard thousands of Bible sermons. Thank you that your word is always fresh. And I pray, Lord, that it would really impact hearts and minds for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, in the first part of the story today, the first thing I want to just draw out is the mercy of God. God has confirmed a number of times to Gideon already that he's with him and he's going to get the victory. You remember the different confirmations? There was that strange time when he had to make that soup and put it on the rock and, you know, and then the angel of the Lord touched it with a staff and, and this um, supernatural moment of it being taken up in flames. That was a big confirmation moment. Then last week we had the fleeces. Remember the fleeces and the dew and the dry fleece and the wet ground and the wet fleece and the dry ground? And Gideon's way of just saying, Lord, do you want to make sure you're really with me? Confirmation, confirmation. God has made it clear. Then he blows a trumpet and all these thousands gather. God has made it really clear and yet, God sees in Gideon's heart, because he's the searcher of hearts. God doesn't deal in superficialities. He sees to the heart. And so he knows there's still fear there. And so he says, well, I've given it into your hand, but if you're still afraid, wander down to the camp. I love this. If you're still afraid, I don't want you to go in fear. Just go down to the camp. And I mean, of all, of all the incredible things, you wander down. I mean, this, this camp, it sounded like it was huge. Camels as many as the sand of the seashore and all that. Right? And he picked this particular spot and just sort of, he's just there with his servant. Who knows whether they're hiding or just got disguised and trying to blend in. Who knows? But he's there. And happens across this one conversation where someone talks about this random dream and the other one says, ah, yeah, that would be Gideon. At that moment, and put yourself in Gideon's shoes. No wonder he worshipped. Now, the first thing he did when he heard this was he worshipped. Why? Here's why. Because he got it that God cares. When you get that God cares for you, it makes you want to worship. If, if God in your mind is just is simply transcendent and kind of out there somewhere, and no sense of him coming near in love, then you don't offer worship. You might offer some kind of reverence or some kind of respect, but not worship. Worship is when something touches your heart. And there's something about worship that's a bit like kissing. It's, there's an intimacy about worship. It's a response when you understand, this one loves me. This one cares about me. And this is a beautiful moment where it's just the tender mercy of God. I mean, Gideon, I think, still would have gone anyway. He was all ready to go. But God says, look, if you're still scared, have a wander down. It's just beautiful. It's God just saying, I can see that your heart is you're just really trembling now. Let's just shore you up. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Listen to this quote I heard about the goodness of God. I read this quote about the goodness of God this week. Such a goodness is in God as is in a fountain or in the breast that loves to ease itself of milk. That is, God is simply bursting with warm and life-imparting nourishment, far more willing to give than we are to receive. What a picture. There is something a, a maternal in the nature of God. He, we're, we're to call him our father. But there are maternal characteristics about God. He's so willing to give. And you see it in this moment. Just, do, you, do you understand this? He's not someone that you have to convince to be interested in your life. You haven't got to work and sweat to get God to take notice of you. The Bible says every day of your life was written in his book before one of them came to be. He, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He is interested. 
And this isn't just some vague sentimental thing. This is powerful. It's that, that there will be enough in him to be able to genuinely hold each person in his heart. I mean, it's incredible. It's God. It's God. So he's a good God. And I, you know, as, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm preparing this, I'm just thinking, you know, the Lord understands the elements in your life and my life that fill our hearts with fear. Yeah? There will say it. There should be elements in all of our lives that do fill us with fear a bit. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. If you're living a life where you're constantly running from everything that's challenging, that's not a healthy life. Yeah? But if, if you're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, then there will be things as a result of that that, you, that come your way that will naturally fill you with fear. But God cares about you in those moments. So imagine it could be something like this. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's saying no to someone whose opinion of you matters more than it should. We all from time to time have people in our lives whose opinion of us, it just matters too much. And you think, oh, I really care what they think. And the moment comes where for the glory of God, you have to say no. That's a big one. Could be a boss, could be a colleague, someone who just assumes they're in charge of you, someone who kind of the way they relate to you, they keep you in a certain spot. And, and you just think this isn't healthy. And at some point you have to say no, but it fills your heart with fear. God knows, God cares, God understands. God wants to minister to you in that. Yeah, he's interested in that. He'll see, he sees what it does in your heart and he wants to come close and shore you up. It's the heart of God. Maybe it's going public for Jesus in an environment that simply will not like it. I'm not talking about, you know, sort of, I don't know, um, acting in an aggressive and annoying way for Jesus. No, I'm just saying going public about Jesus. In our environment, increasingly people won't like that. That can fill your heart with fear. God sees that. He doesn't despise you for that, but he wants to come alongside and shore you up. He wants to come. He notices and he wants, to, he wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you. It's the heart of God. Maybe it's refusing to bow down to the same idols of money or lust or power that's all around us. Things all around us that are causing people to bow the knee. Thrilling people with fear and dread and awe. Gripping people's lives. And you say, I'm not going to go down that road. But it's a challenge. And you, you, you think you feel the reality of that. God sees, he knows, he cares, he wants to shore you up in it. Maybe it's stepping out into a new area of service for the Lord in church, at work, in community, and it just requires faith. You think, man, I'm going to have to really like, get out of the boat and walk on the water here. This, I, I know God's in it, but man, this is a big one. Ah, He sees, he knows, he cares. You've got to get it into, he sees, he knows, he cares, so he is with me in it, and I can, I can walk with him in it. And it's not like I've, got to, I've not got to be the hero in it, Okay, but I've got to learn how to trust him. I've got to learn how to trust him. That's the key for the Christian life. Trust in and obeying. Trust and obey. Maybe it's embracing a season of life that is totally unexpected and totally uninvited. You never would have planned this. You never would have wanted this. It just happened to you, but you've got, there's no two ways about it. You think, well, God, you've allowed this to happen, but now look, what's, what does the future hold? You thought it was in your mind, it was duk, 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 but it, no. Suddenly it's like, I don't know what it is. God sees, he knows, he cares. And he might not give you the next 20 years, if ever, in terms of knowing what's going to happen, he really does that. But he will give you enough grace for today to walk through with him. Because he cares, he cares about, 
He cares. I wish I could sing it. If I had a good voice, I'd sing it. He cares about us. He really does. I mean, Jesus uses the logic. He's talking to people. He's saying, you that are fathers, you care so much about your kids. How much more? You are evil. So you're evil, but you care about your kids. How much more? Will, you, does, will your father give good gifts to those who love him? Think about your kids if you've got kids. Your nieces, your nephews, your younger siblings, your whatevers. Something little that you like. <laughs> Think about it. All right? Him, her. Okay? Guinea pig, whatever. Right? Think about it. Okay? Think about something little you care about that is much smaller than you, does not have the resources you do, is not as developed as you, all that, nothing impressive, but your heart just goes, oh, and you just, you know, you just want to buy them stuff, and you just want to do them good. How much more? That's the logic Jesus uses. How much more? You selfish lot, look, look how crazy you go when someone grips your heart. How much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? It's the love, it's the care of God. You've got to, you've got to understand it. You see, what happens is, is that Gideon, he goes down, he, God confirms, ah, oh, okay, it's all good, God does care. And then he worships, and then he takes firm action. Once you understand, God, God is with me, God is, yeah, then what you do, you worship, because you think he's with me, and then you can take firm action. Then you can say, right now, we can do some stuff. I know God's with me. You see it with Jesus, he's, he, he reaches this moment just before the cross, filled with anxiety. I mean, his disciples have never seen him like this before. He's, he's, he's sweating blood. He's, he suddenly he says, my soul is deeply distressed to the point of death. Can you stay with me? He's deeply anxious. And, and what he does, it's like, a bit like Gideon going down to the camp. He, he walks away from everything. He just goes down a few steps and he prays. And he's, he's trying, God, there must be another way. And he, he wrestles it through with God. And we're told that angels come and strengthen him. And there's just this sense of, no, this is the way. And then we hear this prayer, not, not my will, but yours be done. And he's worshipping. And then he comes back and it's, ah, Jesus is back again. Yeah, there's this, right, here we go, firm action. Suddenly the people are coming to arrest him and he's in charge again. He knows what he's doing, why? He's, he's worked it out, he's worked with God. He's done some business with God. And I think, to be honest, I would say this, I, sometimes when, when I'm talking to people, trying to help pastor people, and you, and you say things to them like, have you got with God about this? Christians, have you got with God? Sometimes the look that you get back, it's like you're talking a foreign language. It's like, what, what do you mean? I mean, have you got with God about this? <laughs> Have you poured your heart out? Have you learned? God deals, with, God deals in honest communication. God deals in heart to heart. God deals in the real stuff. So when you hit these seasons and these things come and you, you, you know you've got to go forward, but you're terrified, where do you go? You've got to go to him. Say, Lord, it's killing me. Lord, I'm hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Lord, I don't know what to do now. Do, you ever, do these things ever come out? If not, you're either living too safe for life or you're not including God in your dangerous life. These are the things that come out of my mouth. Yeah? This is what it's like. I can't do this. So I need you to give me what I need to be able to do it. This is beyond me. I, I don't know what this is. <laughs> These are the kind of things that come out of my mouth. So... What I love about the story is that God says to Gideon, I've given him into your hand. Gideon gets some time with God and then he comes back and he says to the soldiers, the Lord's given them into your hand. So God says to Gideon, I've given him into your hand. 
And then Gideon says to the, to the soldiers, God's given them into your hand. You think, whose hand? What, what's going on here? Now, as I'm meditating on this story this week, I, I, more and more, everything in the Bible points to Jesus, right? Everything. In Gideon, it's like we've got this, it's, he's like, it's a bit like Jesus going to the ultimate battle at the cross, this story here. And it's an amazing thing. It's a bit like this. It's a bit like God says some things to Jesus. I've got some things for you. And then Jesus says it to us. God's got some things for you. You can see it happening really, really clearly a few times in the Bible. Let me give you some examples. Um, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And he says this. He says in John 20, verse 21, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Okay, I've been sent, now, you're, now I'm sending you. You think, oh wow, it's in the same way. Yeah, and it's like he shares out. It's like if you're, around, if, you're around, if you're around Gideon, you're around what God's doing with Gideon. If you're around Jesus, you're around what God's doing with Jesus. Right? It's like you're included in this massive thing. Now some of you might be here today and you're thinking, do you know what, like, I, I am struggling to just, you know, just, get, just get through the day and, and be normal. Don't, don't come in with too much of the heavenly glory stuff. I, I, I'm struggling to just literally just get through. Give me something practical. Okay, some of you, I will say this to you, there is a place for the practical, but when you get in your heart, the bigness of what, of God's heart for you, and what God wants to bring you into, yeah, what that will do, that will affect you in such a way that you can deal with the practicalities very differently from if someone just gave you practicalities. So that, so that your life is not just surviving, but that you are th- you're starting to thrive. And it's not always an easy process, but you, trust me, stick, stick with me as I talk about the big stuff here, okay? Because it does have an impact on your life. It really does. And one of the things God wants, us, wants to do to bring us to maturity is so that we're not just thinking about my life, but even when my life's not easy, I'm still able to have my heart enlarged for other people by God's grace. That's miraculous, but God can do it. It's a miraculous thing. doesn't make sense, but God can do it. So firstly this, you, you've, you've, you've been sent. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. If you know, if you're here then, you say, yeah, I do love Jesus. No matter how much of a mess your life is or not, but you say, yeah, I do love Jesus. Let me just say this to you. You've been sent where you are. God has sent you. He will use you to be a blessing. He will use you to be a blessing. If you just walk with him simply and let him touch your heart and let what's in his heart fill your heart, he will use you to be a blessing. Um, you've been sent now. You'll be a blessing to your neighbours. Trust me. Trust me. It's not, it, it's not rocket science. It's miraculous. Here's another one. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said, you're the light of the world. Hold on a minute. Who's the light of the world? I am. And you are. How does that work? Well, you're in me. And so that's what I'm making you. So, so you think, oh, wow, I'm around Jesus. So all that he is, to kind of just kind of gets shared out around me. You know when you're just around someone who's so full of stuff, you kind of get, you get the benefits. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you, you, if you're, whoever you're around, you, you, you kind of, who they are and what they are rubs off. You're around Jesus. Man, he's just blessed. He's the blessed one, right? And, and so being around him and in him, what is his? It just gets dripped. It just gets given to you. It's, it's sort of a glorious, glorious thing. I want you to understand it. And you don't, don't get into, yeah, but I haven't, or I don't. No, 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 you're around him. You're around Jesus, and he's amazing. But I don't deserve. No, no, you're around him, and he's amazing. That's how it works. It's not about deserving. It's about the grace of God. 
It's about an overflow. God is much kinder and much more gracious and overflowing than you begin to ever dare imagine. He's just like that. He's, um, there, are, there are sides to God that are fearful and terrifying and all of that. But at the same time, you could, almost, you could also, at the same time, he, he's multifaceted. So he's also, the, you know, the really fun uncle that comes around at Christmas. He's, he's that as well. Do you, you can't caricature him into just that or just that. But you, listen, you've got to understand, he's multidimensional. His character, his righteousness is utterly consistent. But there are so many angles to him. And there is this bounty, this generosity, this overflow that is his heart towards us. Towards his creation. He delights in his creation. delights in all he's made, the Bible says. He delights in the work of his hands. You do the work of his hands? He delights in the work of his hands. He delights in you. You're one of his children? He delights in you. This is the glory of being in Christ. He did, did, does the Father delight in his son, Jesus? Yes. Are, we, are we clear on that, right? And we're all happy with that. Because it's like, yeah, that's cool, because Jesus is righteous. Okay? Right. Okay. The Bible teaches that if you are in Christ, then the righteousness of Jesus is given to you as a gift. It's called justification. Which means that you become part of the Father's delight. You like that? Yeah. You should do. <laughs> you should do. You think, well, how, how did this happen? You're in Christ. It's the benefits of being around him. This is amazing. It's more than just forgiveness of sins. It is forgiveness of sins. But imagine if, I don't know, imagine if, like, I don't know, indoors in our home, one of our kids was naughty and, and, they, and they said sorry and I said, oh, I forgive you. And, and, but that was it. That's cool because there's no longer any hostility. But it's very different from forgiving someone means I'm no longer going to hold that against you. That's very different from then drawing near to someone, embracing them, Having fun, having a laugh, doing good things together. That's, that's a, what, wow, what is that? That's adoption. So there's justification where God clears, as the judge, he clears the debt against you by the cross. It's amazing. But it's not to leave you there, it's to draw you into adoption. So you can be part of the family. So you can enjoy walking with him. This is amazing stuff. This is the gospel. This is beautiful. So, so then what Gideon says is then, then he says to the soldiers right now, look at me and do likewise. Do what I do. That's what Jesus says to us. Okay, look at me and do likewise and do what I do. It's a very simple thing. So as a soldier in Gideon's army, okay, fine. What an easy command. Just copy. Okay, I can do that. So we've got a trumpet, right, torch inside jar. Okay, can do that. Torch inside jar, trumpet, right, blow trumpet, smash jar. <laughs> Just because, why? Because why? That's what Gideon's doing. That's why Jesus says exactly the same. Follow me. I'll make you fishers, fishers of men. I'll teach you how to just catch people up into the goodness of God. That's what I'm doing. And I love the idea of the trumpet and the, and the torch because it's just, I think it's representative of two things. And the trumpet's the, it's like the, it's like the, the herald's cry. It's like the, you know, you, you make the announcement. Isn't it? It's like this, this sort of, this, it's, it's, the, it's the lips and it's the, the, the torch is the light. The lips and the light. That's, how, that's what Jesus did. The lips, he, he shared the good news and the light. Just the, the glory of who he was shone. There we go. Jesus saying, look at me and do what I do. Share the good news and shine your light. Is that it? Yeah. Don't complicate it. Do it through who you are. Do it your way. But just copy me. Wow. It's actually really, really releasing. And then the, 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 when they do it, we're told that the whole army just, this whole huge army just absolutely freaked out. 
they just they just panicked and did all you know just went against each other and madness. Just Gideon's army didn't even fight; they just smashed the jar and shouted and blew the trumpet, and there's just chaos there. Now, what, this, this is really important. You want you to understand this because it's like this this army represents the powers and the forces of darkness which we know are spiritual realities, okay? So spiritual realities of oppression, of injustice, of evil, of unrighteousness, uh, you know, all the things that kind of are destructive in life are, 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 are spiritual realities that kind of manifest through people. But it's spiritual realities. That's what this army represents. And, and, and when you look at it, it can look huge. You know, these camels, more than the sand on the seashore, the works of darkness can just look so huge and so intimidating and so undefeatable, you think, oh my goodness. And yet actually the reality is in this story, when we see these people simply follow the, the um, commands of the Lord, they just followed, okay, we'll do that. Suddenly you, you realize it's a house of cards. You, just, you think this thing is just a house of cards. It's just fallen apart in a moment. And it's fleeing. Now, I want to I say something to you. I know, and I mean this in earnest. I tell you, the works of the evil one are a house of cards. I'm not saying that they don't re- it doesn't really ruin people's lives and cause havoc among nations and families. Of course it does. Of course it does. But to be intimidated by it is to be deceived. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, and this is a very important scripture, and we're just sort of... Uh, Starting to wrap things up now. I want you to understand this is a very important scripture. He said, the writer says this. talks about God's voice shaking the earth. And he says, now God has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says that, that, that it, what God is doing is he's shaking everything. He's shaking everything so that, so that that which can be shaken will be shaken and will fall away. And so that what remains is that which cannot be shaken, the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is just basically, it's, it, it's the realm where God rules and reigns. It's, the Bible describes the kingdom of God as righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, as power. That is what will remain. Everything else will be shaken until it falls away. So what you see on the news, what you just see in life is just a huge shaking going on. The Bible uses other terminology. It says it's like creation in childbirth. You know, it's, it's, it's labor pains waiting for creation to come into, for the new creation to be, to be born. That's what, that is what is going on. That's what we're in. But we need to understand that as we follow Jesus and just allow the good news on our lips and our light to shine, that in, in, a, in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, in the dark spiritual realm, Panic will break out. <laughs> and and, and uh, works of darkness will be destroyed. Okay? And the kingdom will come. That is God's plan. It, it's like you, you look naturally at this, this battle. You think, it doesn't make any sense. What is it? It, does, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be effective. And we can sometimes think that about sharing the gospel. You think, is it ever going to share in the gospel? Actually, the Bible says God deliberately uses the foolishness of people speaking the gospel to save. Deliberately uses it a foolish way. Why? But just, just, well, just to really highlight that, you know, it's not about human cleverness and pride. It's not about that. It's God's mercy that saves. And so we must be confident in sharing the gospel. God will use it. We must be confident shining our light, that what he's done in our lives, not hiding it under the jar. You've got to smash the jar. 
You've got to smash the jar, else the light won't be seen. Jesus said, don't light, don't cover your light, your light. let it shine. Let who you are in Jesus shine. It's so, so, it's so, so important. And then the beauty of it is that once they're chasing the enemy, they call in Ephraim, who's another, who's, uh, one of the um, half-tribes of Israel, call them in to come and help. And it's like they're calling in the other people of God saying, hey, we've got a victory. Come on, let's max it out. And you know, the Bible's, uh, um, people have prophesied over us as a church, you know, there'll be certain areas where God will give us a breakthrough as a church. In areas where, in, in certain areas where the where church in the UK just says, you, you can't get it there, it's not happening. But God's going to give us it. And that there is something of a, a calling on us. And we won't be the only ones, that, I'm not trying, it's not trying to exhort ourselves at all, but there'll be certain areas where God gives us breakthrough. And as we get that breakthrough, that we are to then just trumpet it, to the people of God, that confidence might be restored in the power of the gospel for changing lives. There is a subtle kind of erosion of confidence in, in really what God can do in lives. And it, it's, I know, you know, human society, culture is complicated, I understand that. But I tell you, the gospel is very powerful. And we, we, we can become, we can lose our confidence in it. The Bible says, don't throw away your confidence, it'll be richly rewarded. We must be confident in what God, can, what God has done in Christ and what that means for lives being changed. And hopefully through, God will be out to use this as a blessing to the rest of the church as we're blessed by so many other churches and saying, come on, join the victory with us. I'm going to end now. And I want to just say this. There's, there's one thing that Jesus did which he didn't say, look at me and do likewise. That's the cross. He said, you're going to have your own cross to pick up every day, absolutely. But the cross... That's what I do, and that's what I do for you. And I want to just finish by just making it clear that we've all got it straight in our heads again. We've got to get it. Martin Luther, the famous theologian, says you've got to bash it into uh, the saints' heads constantly. So I'm bashing it into mine and bashing it into yours again and again and again and again and again. The starting point is the cross. That's the starting point where we come empty-handed. We don't bring anything. We come to a complete work of salvation by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit on our behalf. God has done it for us at the cross. At the cross, the power is unleashed to forgive us from our sins and to reconcile us to God. And the resurrection, death is defeated. Jesus is vindicated. He's shown to be the Son of God. That must be your foundation. Not, oh, I'm a Christian now, so, so my foundation is I'm going to try and be good. No, I'm a Christian now, so I'm going to trust in Christ. Yeah, not saved by good works. No. No. Saved by Jesus. But saved for good works. Absolutely. This coming to Jesus will absolutely revolutionize who I am and how I live. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, because God has planned good works in advance for me to do. And he's going to lead me into them. Amen? Amen. Amen.